Oh, we got a full house tonight. So everybody like pack in, scoot in, leave some seats open on the end. There's some empty seats on the front. I think they're bringing out a couple extra chairs if you need it, but there's some, really, really, nobody can sit on the front row, really? You can do it, be brave. Kevin's on the front row. <laughs> Kevin! All right. <laughs> I hope this isn't your first time here. Is this your first time here? Okay, a couple times. Good, well, welcome. All right, yeah, people still finding seats, y'all, so scoot over, let's get comfy. All right, isn't that a fun problem to have when people are looking for seats? Isn't that an awesome, awesome issue? There's two seats, a couple seats there, there's some like in the middle, it's hard to see from the back. Okay, here we are in a new series, you asked for it, and you did. You guys sent some amazing and very difficult questions. Like, you were not playing when you sent those in. I mean, so over the next four weeks, we're going to tackle a variety of things and uh, bring in a couple friends along the way that are going to help me in that. Uh, for example, next week, I'm going to tag team with a friend of mine that's going to come in and we're going to address these issues of mental health. A lot of you wanted to know, what does the Bible say about anxiety and depression and medication and suicide and all, and the, all these kinds of things? What does the Bible say about it? What does God think about it? Sometimes people just say, oh, you should just pray more. You should just read the Bible more or, you know, all these kinds of things. So we're going to talk about it and there'll be a panel and you get to hear some real life stories. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, Miles is going to be here in a couple weeks and he's going to, yes, buddy. He has no idea, literally, that we voted to have a pie in his face on that day. So not only will he come and uh, be here after not being able to be here for a while, but he'll also receive that and that will bring us joy. So he's going to talk about leadership, self-leadership, how you lead inside of a relationship. Um, and tonight what we're going to address is this. Can you lose your salvation? I know. Go big or go home, right? A lot of questions about that. You know, if I am a Christian and I find myself caught in sin, can I lose my salvation? If I sin and I see a piece of trash and then I get hit by a bus, I don't know why it's always get hit by a bus, but that's what it is. And I get hit by a bus, what happens to me? Uh, is God so angry and disappointed with me that even after I'm a Christian, I find myself inside a circle of sin or, or I make the same consistent mistakes over and over again? What do I do with that? How do I view my salvation? So we're going to talk about that tonight. And we're going to talk about two very non-sexy words, salvation and sanctification. All right? Nothing sexy about those, but they're very uh, real theological terms. So we're going to dig into the theology of Scripture we're going to dig into what the Bible has to say about those things and then how we apply them to our life and how you can discern where you're at in your relationship with Jesus. So let's just jump in. We're going to jump into the book of Romans. If you've ever read the book of Romans, it is not for the faint of heart. That is go big or go home. It's a book of theology. Romans 6.23 says this. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it is a gift, salvation is. 
So if something is a gift, a gift must be received, correct? Or rejected. But a gift must be received, and he, we are offered salvation as a gift. It's not forced. It's not thrown upon us. It is for us to choose to whether or not to give or to receive. John 3, 16, maybe many of you are familiar with this voice. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. By the way, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave. Do you know you're most like God when you give? When you're generous with your time? When you're generous with your talent, when you're generous with your treasure, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, right? Whoever, not just select few, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So let's just be clear. Salvation is a gift to be received. Salvation is for who? Everyone. It's for who? Everyone. Everyone. Romans 10, 9. If you declare with your what? Mouth, Jesus is Lord. And, second thing, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. So it's two things. It's belief in your heart and it's confession with your mouth. This is so important. I think it's easy to think that, you know, salvation can just exist in some anonymous seat and we never have to actually tell the Lord that we want a relationship with him. But a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember that I said, you actually have to let him know you want to start the relationship. You actually have to tell him, yes, Lord, I'm with you. It's belief in your heart and confession with your mouth. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved for it is by what grace oh this is good news isn't this good news do you know what this means it means there's nothing you can do to earn it there's nothing you can do to break it it is by grace you get salvation it is because God is so big and he made us and we are his creation and he beat death for us that by grace we can receive salvation and there is literally nothing you can do that is good enough to earn it. I've sinned so much in my life, I couldn't possibly do anything that would make up for every wrong I've ever done. And there's nothing I could possibly do that would even make him love me more. He loves me so much, it is by grace that I have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. Again, it is the what? Gift of God, not by what? Works. This is the difference between religion and relationship. Religion says this. Now I'm gonna say this and I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm really not. I know that we all come from very different belief systems and we have very different backgrounds. We were raised very differently. So I mean zero disrespect in this, but it is my job to tell you the truth. Guess what salvation is not? It is not just being baptized as a baby. It is not just going to church every week. It is not just checking the boxes of belonging to a small group or of tithing or of being a good moral person. That is not salvation. You can't work yourself to being saved. It is not of you. That is religion. Now, we like religion because we can check the boxes. And then we feel like we have the insurance that we know. 
we know where we stand. A relationship is so much more difficult, but salvation is clear. It is not by works so that no one can boast. You know that if we earn our own salvation, we'd be walking around going, look what I did. Look what I did. Look what I earned. Look what I made possible. But it is so that no one can boast, so that the only one that is made famous is Jesus. It is his grace alone. So let's sum up. Salvation is a gift. It isn't deserved. We can't earn it. We must receive it. But none of those verses really tell us if we can lose it. Can we lose it? Can we um, no longer have the benefits of it? Can, will God take it away from us? No one likes losing things. Have you ever lost something? You hate it? How many of you lose the same thing all the time? You're always looking for your keys. You're always looking for something. You lose the same thing all the time, right? A lot of you have been able to meet Jeff, my husband. He's been here off and on over the last few weeks. Uh, and when we were married for two months, so very newly married, and we, he had his brand new shiny wedding ring on. Now, Jeff was a youth pastor, student pastor of high school students at the time, and they went away on a youth retreat. So he's on this youth retreat. I was working, so I couldn't go. And they're away in sort of this middle-of-nowhere campground, but it had a very, very large lake. And one day, he and another uh, adult counselor decided to race. And they raced from sort of this dock that was out in the middle of the lake, and they wanted to race toward the shore. So they jump off the dock, and these two take off racing toward the shore. Well, Jeff can see out of his peripheral that this counselor is going to beat him. My husband is incredibly competitive. He doesn't like to be beat. He appears to be very fun-loving. Do not be deceived. Like this man, I literally refuse to be on his team in any game because, like, he will be angry at you if you lose. So <laughs> he's not here. I can say these things. So... He, I love him, I do, but it's the truth. Um, so he sees that this counselor is going to beat him. He doesn't want that. So as they get closer to shore, he reaches out and pulls this other person back, pushes him down in the water, and then keeps swimming. So he gets to the shore. He arrives first because he's cheated. Nonetheless, when he comes up out of the water, he realizes his wedding ring is no longer on his finger. Some say karma. We don't believe in karma. It's not in the Bible. But if it were true, if it were true. And uh, he comes up. His wedding ring is not on his finger. And he's thinking, oh, right, my friend? That's what he's thinking. That's what he's thinking. And he's, but we've been married for two months. And he's like, what am I going to tell my what am I going to tell my wife? What am I going to do about this? I mean, you only, like, you get married. You have one wedding. It's like you have one wedding ring. It's not like something you just go to Walmart. You just continue to get over and over and over again. Like, it's my wedding ring. And he's like, I'm going to find this wedding ring. They're in a lake. A lake. And he, he's determined. So he gathers up everybody, and he's like, we got to find this ring. And they do, like, a search party. Cannot find the ring. Of course they can't find the ring. So he and I are talking every night while he's away at this camp. He never mentions this to me. I go on the phone. He never says, hey, babe, guess what? Today I lost my ring. He never tells me. Um, so finally, the last day of the camp, 
He's like, I don't, I'm not going to go home and tell my brand new wife that I lost my wedding ring because then I have to explain why. And why? Because I was cheating in a game. It's going to go south. I I have to find this ring. I'm going to give it one more last-ditch effort. So he he goes back to the lake, and he goes back down. He dives back down in this one spot that he says today is probably about 12 to 14 feet deep. He goes to the bottom, feels around, nothing, comes up for air, goes back down one more time. There's these like leaves or kind of this just green stuff on the bottom of the lake floor. He pushes it away, and he describes it in kind of a Lord of the Rings moment. (laughs) Like there glistening in the lake water is his wedding ring, right? Evidence that Jesus loves him. So he grabs it, he puts it on, he comes up, he's like, he feels like he's won life. And he calls me later that night, and this is how he opens up. He's like, babe, oh my gosh, you're not going to believe what happened to me. I lost my wedding ring. And then he just stops. I was like, what? You did what? Oh, no. You know, uh, all these things. And he goes, but I found it. You know? And they later told him that actually what he had pushed away was uh, a water moccasin nest. And that it really was by God's grace that, like, he just found the ring and came back up. Uh, we don't like losing things, especially things that are of great value. Especially things that you just don't go out and replace. Especially things that have tremendous sentimental meaning to us, Right? Like, it's a, it could be a photograph. It could be a letter. It could be a note. It could just be something that to us is so significant that if we were ever to lose it, it wouldn't matter if somebody gave us something that seemed similar. It would never quite be the same. We don't like losing things. So let me encourage you by saying salvation isn't a ring that can be lost. It's not something that you just wake up one day and go, oh, whoops, can't find it. Or I can't, I can't seem to uh, locate where I have placed my salvation. It's not something you can lose. John 10, verse 28 and 29 says this. I give them, Jesus says, eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Hear that? No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. So can you lose it? No. Can it be stolen from you? No. Can it be snatched from you? No. But you do, let me tell you this, and this is true, and listen in, lean in. You can forfeit your salvation. You can forfeit your salvation. You can walk away from the relationship, men and women. Can't you walk away from any relationship if you want to? I mean, let's even talk about biological relationships. I have parents. I can walk away from that relationship. 
Now, I might walk away and I might still call myself my father's daughter, but will I receive any of the benefits that come from being in relationship with my father if I walk away from my father? If I choose to be estranged from my father, am I going to um, have the benefits of his protection and his covering and home and shelter and food, right? No. Now, if I go back and I want to be in the relationship, absolutely. But we can walk away. You can reject a gift. I want to go to the book of John, chapter 15. I'll start in verse 5. This is Jesus talking. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? You can do what? Nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. So in that passage, the word remain is written four times. Remain, 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 remain. Why would he tell us to remain unless there was an option to not remain? Are you tracking with me? Why would he say remain with me if we had no option to leave or to walk away? I don't say to, I have two dogs, they're horrible, but I have them. And I say to them, stay Because I know very well they probably won't stay. You know, and I feed them treats, stay, stay, stay. But they don't because they can choose. We can choose to remain or not. And to say remain, doesn't that suggest that we were with him to begin, that we're with him? Remain with me. So we're, if you choose to be with him, if you've given your life to him and you're following Jesus and you're a believer, you're with him. So he says, remain with me. It means you can choose to no longer be with him. Does that mean he doesn't want you to? No. It just means that God doesn't force us to love him. You can't force love. Why do we get that kind of free will choice? Because do you want anyone in your life that you feel like is forced to love you? You want someone to want to love you, right? You want someone to, to pursue you and to chase you and to, to give themselves to you because they want to. Because they find you captivating. Because they find you wonderful. Because they respect you and they want to be with you. Do we even want to have a relationship where you have to look at the person across from you and go, no, 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 stay with me, stay with me. Have you ever felt like that before? No, no, stay with me. Remain with me. Don't leave me. But that's the way love and relationships work. We choose them or we don't choose them. And when God created man and woman, Adam and Eve in the garden, clearly he created us with choice, correct? They chose to do something stupid that I don't even stand in judgment of because I can just tell you right now, if they hadn't eaten the fruit, I'm pretty sure I would have at some point. 
right? We all would have. There would have been something along the way. God loved us enough to let us choose to love him. That's love. Do you know why? Because God loved us enough to know many would reject him. But he valued choice so much that the relationship might be real. Remain in me. Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16. Jesus is talking about the church, right? He's writing about churches, and here's what he says to the church. By the way, if you're a Christian, you're a part of the church. I don't know if you knew that or not, if you knew you were signing up to be part of the church. I don't know if that's bad news or good news for you, but if you're a believer, you are actually the church. The church is not a building. It is not an institution. It is not a place. It is a people. So in the book of Revelation, we hear these letters written to churches, and here's what Jesus writes in one of them. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are my lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth, says Jesus. Pick a road, he says, Christians. You're either hot or cold. Be hot or be hot or cold. Don't be in this like lukewarm. Don't be that. Nobody wants that. Either be hot or be cold. Either stay with me or leave. You are either part of the kingdom of God or you are not. And the Bible is very clear about that. <coughs> lukewarm Christians are the Christians that want to live out the bare minimum. And say, you know what, just get me to heaven, but don't ask me to do anything here. Just get me there, because I don't want to go down there, but don't ask me to do anything here. Right? It's Christians who go to the Lord and go, hey, okay, Lord, so here's the thing. Uh, what's the bare minimum I can do for you, and we're still good? Like, what's the least amount of obedience I can enact and still keep my insurance that someday when I die, I'm going to go to heaven? That's lukewarm. And Jesus says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And do you know, if you go back and you do a study of that word, because I did, because I just am that way, I want to know what, it, what spit out really meant. So uh, I went back into the original language to see what it actually means when you translate it. You know, the real original language means vomit. So Jesus says, I will literally vomit you out. Like, not like a, like, a, like out, right? Like something that's in there and he wants you out so bad, he will vomit you out. If you're sort of lukewarm. So people ask the question, but can I lose it? Will God take it? If I commit a sin and then something bad happens to me, am I still saved? Am I still going to heaven? Let me, let me clear some things up. Salvation is not sinlessness. Salvation doesn't mean that from that moment forward, you will never sin again. If you are a Christian in the room and a believer, can we all just confess that when you remember the moment you gave your life to Jesus, have you sinned since then? I should hear a resounding number of people saying yes. 
if you're not saying yes, you just did. All right? You lied. You lied. Salvation isn't sinlessness, but it is a commitment to struggle against sin and push against evil. Salvation is saying, I don't want to live in sin. And from this moment forward, I'm accepting the forgiveness that Jesus offers me for my sin. And I am now going to struggle and push and walk away from sin. And I'm going to trust that the power of the Holy Spirit will make it possible for me to be free from sin. Salvation is learning to be uncomfortable with sin. Oh, we're going to get deep into this. And some of you are going to get really bothered by this, but it's true. You got to get uncomfortable with sin. We got to get to a place where when we encounter sin, it doesn't just feel normal. Salvation is a decision to make sin not normalized in your life. We love the fact that God is love. God is love, and he is love. Do you know what love is? Here's love. Love is grace plus truth. The world wants you to think that love is only grace. But if you have grace without truth, that's just called enabling. I'm here, let me do this first. On the converse side, truth without grace is judgment. Also not love, correct? So love is actually both together. When you're in a relationship with someone, you want them to forgive you. Don't you also want them to tell you the truth? Absolutely, that's what we want in a relationship. That is what love is. So we cannot say, Jesus, I want your grace in salvation, I just don't want to deal with all the truth in your word. You got to take both if you really want the love of God. If you really want it present in your life. I cannot and I would never attempt to judge or name what I think any of your individual spiritual fates are. I would never sit across from you and say, well, Biz, so what I see in your life, you're going to hell. I would not ever say that. I would not ever do that. I might ask you if you've ever accepted the gift of salvation. I might ask you if you died today, do you know what would happen to you? I might ask you those kinds of questions, but I would never, ever think that I could somehow peer into your soul and know what your relationship with Jesus Christ is really like. I would never have so much arrogance as to think that I could somehow measure your love for God. But you know who does know that? God. And do you know that in his Bible, he says, well, I can't judge your eternal fate. The Bible does say that we can all look at each other's lives and look at whether or not there's fruit. 
that you can look at the life of a believer, of someone who's a Christian, and say, does their life, is it bearing fruit? Does there seem to be a ripple effect of God's love because of their existence? When I encounter them, can I even tell that they're a follower of Jesus? So my daughter went out on her first date last week. I can't even talk about it. I'm very, I just don't know what to think about it. And I have always said to my daughters, I'm like, look, they got to love Jesus and love you. They got to love Jesus. So I'm asking her before she goes out with him. And she, I'm like, okay, you know, her name's Eileen. I'm like, Eileen, does, does he love Jesus? And she's like, mom, how am I supposed to know until I go out with him? I go, oh, you could know. Oh, you can know, babe. You want me to find out? Happy to. Happy to find out. I did, uh, we did find out. He loves Jesus, and they went out, and I threatened to cut him when I met him. It's true. True story. Uh, it just came out. Don't judge me. It's my 16-year-old daughter who's strikingly beautiful, and this freaking Marine-looking guy walks up. What? Like, I'm like, you're like, no, they did not look like you when I was in high school. By the way, this is not in my notes. This is just me verbally vomiting. He comes up. I'm like, what? No, huh? Because if you were in my high school and I was in high school, I'd have been pregnant. You are not taking her out. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's happening, okay. It's not in my notes, and honestly, it's nothing to do with the message. Uh, This is real talk, y'all, real talk. His name is Flint, okay. I apologize. I know. See, you and me, my brother, we're just stuff, just coming out. All right. Where am I? Where am I at? I don't know. Is there fruit in your life? I don't know. Okay. Uh, I'm like, babe, and, I, and I've actually, I've told, like, when I talk about dating or I talk about these kinds of things or preach about these kinds of things, I'll say to people, like, teenagers or to people your age, I'll go, if you can't tell if they're a Christian, the likelihood of them being a strong Christian is probably slim. Like, if you just can't even tell by looking at their life, you shouldn't have to get a microscope out in order to see if there's a little bit of Jesus, you should be able to just see. But so why we can't determine or sit and go, well, I can, you know, you're going to heaven. I think you're going to hell and heaven and hell. We can't do that. What we can do is look at each other's life and go, but you know what, my brother, you know what, my sister, I'm not seeing any fruit in your life. You know what I am seeing? I'm seeing some branches that I think you should probably let the Holy Spirit prune. I'm seeing some things in your life that you should probably let the Lord invade your soul and pluck on out of your life. I'm seeing some things that I think you're too comfortable with. And you need to get uncomfortable with sin. Which takes me to the next question. If you can't lose it, but you can forfeit it. But I rarely, and this is the truth, I mean, every once in a while I meet somebody that wants to like walk away from the relationship with Jesus, but it's super rare, although it does happen. 
What I see more than that, and what a lot of your questions were that you submitted, is that, but then after salvation, why do we get so stuck? So, that's what I want to talk to you. That's the second part of what we're talking about, all right? We talked about salvation. Now I want to introduce a word to you, maybe some of you have heard of, sanctification. Again, not a sexy word, but it's a real word, all right? It's a theological word that refers to what happens from the moment of salvation forward in your life and mine. Sanctification. And there are three steps to sanctification. The first step is called position. What that means is upon the moment of salvation, your position with God changes. You move from being outside the kingdom of God and lost to inside the kingdom of God and an heir in his kingdom and a son or daughter of the king. That is the extraordinary miracle of salvation. You accept the forgiveness of his sins and then you move forward and you, literally your entire position in eternity changes. You go from death to life, from hell to hell. This is what happens. Your position changes. But this is where we get stuck because like last week we talked about, you know, people get saved and then baptized, right? That's a water drop in case you're wondering. Um, let's give you a good night, y'all. Okay. Uh, and then people stop and they can't seem to move forward because there's a second part to sanctification called process. Process. Scripture talks about the working out of our salvation. What that means is, while your position has changed, you still spend the rest of your life until the day that you meet Jesus learning to live in the holy way that God said you are now once you gave your life to him. See, when you give your life to Jesus, do you know that you are instantly made holy? What? If you are a Christian, you are holy. Which sounds weird when we say that. Like, you don't walk around going, hey, well, you know, I'm holy. I mean, we just don't do that. We don't feel like we're holy, but you are. You are holy. The tragedy is that we don't live up according to the position we've been given. You've been given the position. Now live up to the position. Which means there's a process of learning to live holy. And some of you are impatient with the process. Which is why you, like we talked about last week, you keep trying to get saved again. You're trying to recover a moment, an emotional um, encounter with the Lord. And you keep trying to go back and recover the emotional encounter that you were never meant to go back and try and do. You don't need to be saved 500 times. You just don't. You've been saved and now accept that you are in a process. And there are some sins that will just leave your life and you go, I'm not doing that anymore. And there are some that are harder to work out and you're in a process and the Holy Spirit's working them out of you. And you learn, you get accountability and you get into a group and you tell friends and they work itself out. And then you get longer and you get older and you discover new things in your life that you struggle with. There are things I struggle with now that I never used to struggle with because now I have different life circumstances. I have different things going on. And so things change as you get older. But we are in this process until the day that we meet Jesus but the good news is we were made holy upon the change in our position. I know this sounds like a lot of like real heady stuff. Is this making sense? Okay. 
process. Why do we get stuck? Why do we get stuck in the process? Because this is where we get stuck, right there. I want to suggest to you a couple of reasons we get stuck. First reason we get stuck is because we get stuck in sin. Romans 6 says this. Paul writes this. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? <laughs> stupid. Isn't that stupid? I'm just going to keep sinning because then I get more of God's grace. And who doesn't want more grace? Of course not. Since we died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing to people who are saved. Check this out, verse 12. Listen to this. Lean into this. If you've got your, like, your Bible with you, highlight it if it's on your phone. Like if it is your own personal Bible, circle it. If it's the church's Bible, circle it. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. So if we have new life, and Paul is saying, stop sinning, why do we keep sinning? Right? I wonder if it's because... We take sin really lightly. And we think that our happiness excuses unholy. We think that because that's going to make me happy right now, it doesn't matter that it's unholy because God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. The only path to happy is holy. Have you ever done a whole bunch of unholy things and all of a sudden went, wow, I'm so happy about this. So I feel happy. I find myself drunk and passed out. Feels so good. I especially like the hangover. You know, I mean, we don't do things that are unholy, 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 and then just feel really awesome about ourselves. And the ones who appear to are so numb to the sin, they're living in deep unholy. Holy is the only way to happen. And there's different kinds of sin. Like give you three different kinds. There's the external sin. This is the easy to see sin. This is the sin that's easy for us to judge in other people. <laughs> Addiction, lying, cheating, gossip, right? It's external. We see it. We go, oh, that's horrible. I would never do that. External sin. But then there's internal sin. This is not so easy to see. This is pride, arrogance, anger, bitterness. The only people that will call this out in you, in your life, are the people that are closest to you that so deeply love you, they're willing to say it to you. If you don't have friends willing to say to you, dude, you seem really angry, you need to get some better friends. Or you need to approach someone and give them permission to say that to you. You need to go, hey, buddy, you know me really well. If you see this in me, if you see me exhibiting this kind of attitude or character, I need you to say something to me. But internal sin, okay, but here's the third kind of sin. So what's left? It's this. Sins of your conscience. Do you know that there are some things that would not be a sin for you but might be a sin for me? There are some things that the Holy Spirit might just uniquely ask me not to do. Because God knows that for me it would become a vice. It would become a problem. There are some people that having a drink is fine. 
There are other people that having a drink will send them down a very dark road. And so for them to have a drink would be a sin. But for this person, it's not, right? There are just some things that are sins of conscience. When God asks you to do something that he may not be asking everyone to do and you refuse to do it. Go talk to that person. Go pray for that person. Say yes to serving. Say no to that relationship. All of these things that are unique to you. And when you disobey them, when we don't do them, they're sins of our conscience and they're very real. So if you're tired of being stuck in the process of sanctification, ask yourself if you're stuck in sin and call sin, sin. I have a couple pictures for you. Do we have those? Yes? Show me the first picture. Do you have it? There should be four of them. No? Did they not give them to you? I can't see. If not. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Oh, okay. I know. I oversold it, didn't I? (laughs) I oversold it. I know. What is this? Yes. Give me the next one. What is this? Yes. Look how good. We're doing really, really well. Okay. What's the next one? Okay. See how easy that was? Right? How easy was it to look at sin and say, oh, that's sin, correct? It really is that easy all the time. It really is that easy all the time. But we can walk through life and we can call this a chair, we can call that a zebra, we can call this whatever is easy for us to name, but we can see sin and we go, oh, wait, no, no, that's not sin. I just have issues. Right? Oh, no, 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 that's not sin. I just made a mistake. You know, a mistake is when you, like, add two numbers and you forget to carry the one. You don't accidentally sleep with somebody. You don't trip over yourself and fall into, you know what I'm talking about? If you do, if you do we need to talk because, man, okay. There is a difference. There's a difference between a mistake and sin. Men and women, if this generation would just stick and rise up and call sin, sin. But this generation in this world is going, no, 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 no. Because love doesn't call sin, sin. You know what love does? Love goes into the Bible and reinterprets the Bible. And love goes into the Bible and pulls out the chapters and passages that we don't like because it doesn't condone our sin. You know, we go into the Bible and we just do these things. And we want to say that that, and that, that is what love is. And I think God weeps. He says, you want my salvation. You don't want my sanctification. You want my grace. You don't want my truth. And my truth is not there to restrict you. It is there to protect you. We have got to stop saying, this is just the way I am. I'm just like this. I'm just an honest person. No, no, you're mean, and it's why you have no friends, right? (laughs) 
It's been a long week. I'm just... We have got to stop saying things like this is just the way I'm, or we've got to stop saying things like, oh, you know what? No one's perfect. I mean, can't you just forgive me? Can we just, you know, I mean, come on. You know, while no one is perfect is true, is that really the standard? Is that really the bar that we just want to try and meet is go, well, nobody's perfect, so I'm just going to settle for average and hope you celebrate me. We've got to stop saying, you know what, I do this, and it's this person's fault, and it's this person's fault, and I wouldn't be this way if they hadn't. That very well might be true, that there are things inside of you and patterns built into you because of what people have done to you or said to you, but it doesn't excuse your choices, and at some point, we have to draw the line in the sand and go, I don't care what they did to me. I don't care what they said to me. I'm not going to be defined by that anymore. I'm going to stop wearing it as a badge. I'm going to stop wearing, hey, I'm wounded. I'm broken. I'm this. I'm abuse as a badge and start stepping into who God has called us to be. And he says, you are saved and you are sanctified. You have been made holy. Here's something we say, we just don't like to admit it. We hold inside of ourselves the knowledge that if we sin, God will forgive us. And so we walk into sin thinking, I'm just going to deal with this with God later. And we abuse his grace. We look up at him on the cross and say, hold up, I'll just be right back. I'll stop doing this when I'm older. I'll stop doing this later. I'll stop this when I get married. I'll stop this when I'm out of school. I'm just going to do it one more time. Unless you see sin as serious, you will not get serious about getting sin out of your life, y'all. You just won't do it. So here's a direct answer to the original question regarding salvation. Can you lose it? If you, listen to me, if you are comfortable with sin, then yes, you should question your commitment to Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. I want to be clear. If you are comfortable with sin, then yes, you should question your commitment to Jesus Christ because when you are committed to Jesus Christ, you are committing to get uncomfortable with sin. The good news if you are uncomfortable, that's called conviction. If you feel convicted, people are like, oh, I feel so bad. I feel so convicted. That is such good news. Do you know why? It means that you can hear the Holy Spirit. And if you feel convicted and you feel bad about something in your life, do you know that that is you sensing God? And if you can sense God, you are with God. So, he, so feel conviction and experience it as a gift. Because it means you are sensitive to his Holy Spirit and then you respond. So you're stuck in sin. Number two, you're stuck in separation. I'm going to give you these two really quick. Number two, are you stuck in separation? Number three, are you stuck in suffering? 
What does stuck in separation mean? It just means that you don't spend time with God. You got saved, and then when it came to sanctification, you just went, oh, you know what, I'm just going to let coming to C12 on Thursdays be good enough. I'm just going to let the relationship that is supposed to be the most important relationship in my entire life and for all of eternity survive on an hour and a half a week. Staying separated from God is going like, oh my goodness, I need direction. I need wisdom. I need comfort. I need help. And never going to the word of God that offers all of it. We are sanctified through the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. You should write that down. How are you sanctified? By the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those two things. If you want to get unstuck, you don't want to be stuck in separation, get into the word, come together and worship, walk, it, walk with Jesus Christ with other people who are believers and pray. And then the third, in suffering. I'm going to breeze through this really quick. John 10.10 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes that we might have life and have it to the full. We get stuck in suffering and we don't allow ourselves to continue in sanctification because we think, why would God allow bad things to happen to good people? Why would God allow this to happen in my life? Why would God allow this to happen? My mom right now is dying of cancer. And I love her. I have a good relationship with my mom. I know a lot of you don't. I do. She was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, they've said it's incurable. My mom is a godly woman. She's in her 60s, which I know sounds older, but really in the grand scheme of life, she should have another 20 years left, right? 20, 20, but my son, who's eight years old, if my mom dies, he might have a couple of memories, but he will become an adult and, and vaguely remember my mother. The woman who raised me, if I can just be frank and honest, the, the, one of the only reasons I can even do this today, she prayed and fasted for me for the first 25 years of my life while I was living everywhere but with Jesus. And she's had a hard life. Some of you that were here a couple weeks ago and you heard some of my story, my father's had multiple affairs She's had a hard life, and I look at God, and I go, really? Really? Because I got a couple other people who I think would be better used for this disease <laughs> than my mother. How am I supposed to watch my mom die? How do you do that? How do you watch your mother die? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you do that. What I do know is I'm going to have to do that, Right? I'm going to have to do it. What I also know is I won't be able to do it without Jesus. And I don't want to get stuck because I get mad. I don't want to get stuck because it's unfair. And it is unfair. You know why it exists? Because of sin and evil and disease and Satan. I don't want to get stuck there. 
So if you're asking the question, can I lose my salvation, I suppose I would ask you, why are you asking? Where is there fear? Are you living separate from God? Are you suffering and you don't know what to do with it? I don't know. What I can tell you is that you don't have to wonder anymore. What I can tell you is that you can leave here feeling completely secure in Jesus Christ. What I can tell you is that you can leave here not having to wonder if you're saved or if you die, what will happen to you. You can actually leave here in full confidence that you are with Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me? As you're sitting there with your head bowed, I'm going to ask you to just reflect on a couple of things as the band comes. I would just ask you to reflect on a couple of things. I want you to ask yourself if you're stuck in your relationship with Jesus. And if you are, is it because of sin? Is it because you're living separately and you're not spending time with him? Is it because there's suffering in your life or someone you love? And you have so many questions you can't resolve and you're angry. And I invite you to take that to him in these moments. Maybe you need to confess something to him. Maybe you need to make something right. Maybe you need to tell him that you know he misses you because you've been absent in your relationship with him and you're committing to coming back. And you're going to spend time in his word and you're going to spend time in prayer. Maybe there's some hard things in your life or someone you love and you just need to take it before the Lord and say, Lord, I surrender this to you and I'm asking you to do a miracle. I'm asking you to work in this. I'm asking you to do something in this. Heavenly Father, I would pray that in this moment, if there are those in the room that are wondering about their salvation, that are wondering where they stand with you, Lord, I pray that they would not leave here still wondering. That they would have a conversation with you right now that makes it right. And Lord, I pray that you would just affirm to them in a way that only you can in a very supernatural way, Lord. I pray that you would just affirm to them that you are with them. You are with them. You've never left them. You love them so deeply. You're not angry. You're not disappointed. You think they're extraordinary. Every morning when they wake up, Lord, you smile. Lord, I pray that you would just surround them and fill them with your presence and your peace. Thank you for this group. 
of men and women, Lord. Thank you for how they lean in. Thank you for how they love you and how they love each other. It is for your glory that we do all of this. In your name, amen. Would you stand with me? I'm gonna close. We're gonna close together um, in a song. I know that we've run a few minutes over, probably due to my daughter's dating story. I don't know. My little rant, I apologize. Um, Anyhow, Flint. But um, I do want us to close in worship. No matter where you stand with the Lord today, no matter what your struggles are, I always think it's good to end things going vertical. When you end things and you're looking vertical, it makes all the horizontal stuff in our life and all the shrapnel that's lying around and all of the issues make more sense. And so I want to end this evening by going very vertical with the Lord and praising Him and worshiping Him and just thanking Him for the gift of salvation by grace and that He's patient enough with us to sanctify us and and forgive us over and over. Let's praise Him together.